it's not just based in one person, but Martin Luther gets the credit. And Martin Luther did a lot to bring the church forward into an understanding of the beauty of we are justified in, through grace, by faith, or I, maybe I said that backward, by faith through grace in Christ alone. And he had those five solas, which I'm not going to embarrass myself and try to recite before you today. But he had five points where it was like, this is what it means to be a follower of God. And he changed the world. As I was sitting in class a few weeks ago, and we were talking about this, and it's the first time my class has matched up quite so perfectly with, a, with an event, and so I, I tried to listen, because I have said before, my first love is not history. I have had to force myself to do it, and I love listening to Walt talk because he loves history, and it comes out. And people who love history just have a way of telling the stories, and you're like, well, if my teacher had taught it that way, it would be different. But, man, but the stories that come out are just amazing. But as we were sitting in class, and I was trying my hardest to learn to love history as I tried to stay awake for eight hours a day and let... History is nice, but eight hours a day of history is just on the edge. Um, Yes, anyway. But we talked about this verse, and I invite you to open your Bibles because it blew my mind. Hebrews chapter 12. If Hebrews is near the end of the Bible, um, it is a great book that is a commentary on what we call the Old Testament, what they would have called a commentary on the Bible that just looks at what Jesus was doing throughout time, throughout the salvation history of people. And Hebrews chapter 11, even if you don't know much about the Bible, Hebrews chapter 11 is one of those chapters that is on par with 1 Corinthians 13. It's something that just about everybody knows. And the great faith chapter And the author of Hebrews goes through and lists off all of these great heroes of faith. Hebrews chapter 12, starting with verse 1. The Bible says, therefore, and whenever the Bible says therefore in the scripture, you you have to think about what's just come before, and that would be the list of all of these heroes of faith. So because of those heroes of faith, we also, comma, Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with perseverance or endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God." I am fairly certain that all of us in here have heard this verse at some point. I have preached on this verse several times, and I always drive home the point, the first words of verse 2, looking to Jesus. And at no point today am I going to lessen the importance of that phrase. But I, in class, the, the, the professor brought up something that I had never asked myself about this text. 
Because it is in verse 2, or the second half of this sentence, this thought, that we get to the point of looking to Jesus. Why is it that we are to look to Jesus? So let's go back to verse 1 and unpack that just a little bit. Because Jesus, it, you think if it was solely, re, solely on Jesus with this, these, these heroes of faith, if, if it was solely Jesus, only absolutely, positively, only Jesus that we were to look to, the verse would have said, started out with, therefore, look to Jesus. And that is important, and we must look to Jesus. But there is something amazing about what the author of Hebrews is trying to convey in this text. Because Jesus did not leave us alone or without anything to help us along the way. Because this verse starts off, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, the Christian journey is not done in a vacuum, is not done apart from a community. And that community is so vital to our walk with God. Because we are surrounded by witnesses. We are surrounded by people who have experienced something. To kind of just bring home the point, if you get called to court as a witness, you will never, they, they will send you home immediately if you said, well, I think this is what happened. Or I heard somebody say that this is what happened. Witness is not a second or third or fourth removal of experience. A witness is somebody who has personally firsthand experienced something. And we, as Christians, can look to those who have been in that experience and have experienced something that maybe we haven't, and we can look at them as evidence that we can say, wow, you are witnessing to something that I want to know. Who is it? And then we look to Jesus. Martin Luther, perhaps unwittingly, became a great witness in the Christian experience. He became a person who pointed towards the truth of Jesus and the joy that we could have. Because as he threw himself down in that muddy, muddy road as he was traveling, as the thunder and lightning was going around him, he was ready to work his way to heaven. Because that's what he thought at the time. He was ready to buy in and afflict himself and just every day be in this state of depression because he knew he wasn't good enough and he did not know how to fix it. But yet God ministered through, through him and because of him and other people like him, today we live in the knowledge and understanding of the truth that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. 
And it is because of his struggle and the fact that he was willing to stand up and do something that was so radical. It was so radical to stand up against the institution of the church and to speak out. And yet when he put those things out there, his call for discussion, his call for challenge was not met. It was just, oh, we have to call this guy a heretic and get him out. There was no discussion because they knew it couldn't stand. And therefore, we were surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. The concept of witness is so important. I invite you to turn back a few chapters to the book, not a few chapters, but a few books, to the book of Acts. Um, it's right, comes right after the Gospels. Jesus is preparing to leave, to be, be taken back to heaven. And he is with his disciples on the Mount of Olives. And in verse 6, um, it starts with another, therefore. When they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. And verse 8 is the one we want to spend some time on. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You shall be witnesses. The plan of God was never to leave his people without witness. Never to leave them without somebody who had gone before, who had experienced something and who could share that experience. But here in the book of Acts, the class I took this summer was on Luke and Acts. And if you dig into Luke and most specifically Acts, a lot of times Acts is referred to Acts of the Apostles. It really should be referred to as Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because it is at this point when Jesus leaves that he says, my spirit is going to come down and is going to give you power. And any time a minister says the word power, and it, from the New Testament, we always like to talk about the Greek word because it's so cool. Um, it's the word, you know, it's like, uh, it's the word we get dynamite from. So we always want to say, we're not talking eh, kind of power, like I've got power to maybe get out of bed in the morning. I've got power to maybe accomplish something. No, not that kind of power. We're talking power that moves and opens rocks and hillsides, that blows things up, that wrecks what is there. And the Spirit of God wants to wreck what is there and give us power so that we can go forward as witnesses so that we can share this amazing truth with others. And that is how the church expanded. It was through the power, the dynamite of the Holy Spirit. And it wasn't just to anything. It's so easy to miss this because I didn't catch it until just this week as I was reading about this verse. But did you notice the, 
the geographic kind of guidelines in this text. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem. Okay, that's easy. And all Judea, that's still fairly easy, and Samaria. Okay, now, sometimes I forget to make correlations between simple words, like, you know, between the noun, the verb of the word, or the adjective, or the whatever I'm getting into English. That's another class I don't understand. Um, (laughs) Samaria. If I say that, we're kind of like, okay, cool. But if I say Samaritan, suddenly I'm like, oh, yeah, there's some baggage. There's a little bit of something going on there, and the people that are being told to go are being told specifically go to a place that first off they despised and would travel thousands of... Okay, thousands is an exaggeration, but I, I get to tell the stories. Thousands of miles around just so they wouldn't have to walk through this place. They had been told not to go to this place. And now they're being said, oh yeah, and now you're going to witness. And not just anywhere, you're going to witness in the place that you despise the most. That is what all the world kind of means. And that's the power, because we cannot, without the power of the Spirit, we cannot go into places that make us uncomfortable, go into places that challenge us, go into places where we would feel fear. But when we have the dynamite power of the Spirit, we can be witnesses to places that we would never imagine were possible in our own power. And that is just the point, because it's not about us. It is about Jesus and the Spirit and His power. And this is the Spirit and this, this power that comes through this witness that Jesus has asked us to do is a part of his intercessory ministry that he's doing for us still today. This power to be a witness is available to us today. I've sort of abandoned my notes. Let me take a moment to just see where I was trying to go. Um, All right, very good, very good. All right, we're not too far off track. It's good. Fear not. And so as I was looking at this Hebrews verse where it says, look to Jesus, but before that, it says, since we are surrounded by witnesses, we can look to Jesus. The power of our witness has the ability through the Holy Spirit to point people to their Savior, Jesus Christ. And witnessing and the idea of what happened at the Reformation is what we can see when the power of the Spirit grabs a hold of something and takes it places that we could never imagine. Now, I just want to kind of help us wrap our minds about how significant this Reformation was. Um, I went to boarding academy um, for two years in high school. My junior and senior year, I went to boarding academy. And one of the cool things about... Okay, 
One of the challenges of boarding academy is that since you live there, you also have to eat there. Um, and sometimes that can be a bit of a challenge because you may or may not like what they serve. Um, I was talking with, with some people this week and describing my favorite meal at academy was Sunday brunch. Biscuits, gravy, mm, scrambled eggs, hash browns, uh, veggie sausage, veggie bacon. Come on now. Oh, I haven't even eaten anything yet today. This is not a good subject. Oh, man, I'm hungry. And it was the best. Sunday evening, oftentimes, would be what you might call Reformation casserole. Where the cook, in being frugal and trying to stay on budget, will just take the... Should I go there? (laughs) We'll take the Ethiopian food. Now, hold on a second. Let me explain. I will explain. This week we were, again, with this people, Walt and Brenda, um, as we were talking about food, over food. um, We're talking about, like, the kind of food that I like, and they were discovering that what they described as I'm a picky eater, and I'm not a picky eater. I'm particular about what I eat. <clears throat> there is a big difference. And it doesn't mean that I don't like things. It just means that some places do things better. And so at one place, I'll like the eggplant. At the other place, I won't. Um, and they asked me if I like Ethiopian food, and I quickly told them no. Because I told them Ethiopian food, in my mind, is just my leftovers I didn't eat as a child. When my parents said, don't you know about the starving children in Ethiopia? We need to send them your leftovers. <laughs> And so anyway, when I hear Ethiopian food, and this is no slight to anything, it's just that's, that's what I heard, and this is how I associate. Um, I think Ethiopian food is leftovers. And so anyway, so back to my point, and then really back to our point. I've, now I'm way off track. Um, Sunday night would be Reformation casserole, as you would call it, where the bits and pieces that were left over would be kind of stuck together in a dish and covered with cheese. There's a couple illustrations in this I could go on, and since I'm way off track, I might just... um, You cannot just cover something with something that is excellent, like cheese, and expect it to truly be transformed. To be transformed as a Christian means to be changed from the inside out and not just covered with Christianity like melted, gooey cheese. We have to be transformed from the inside out. But yet the cook did not always agree with that in the food sense, and so we would have Reformation casserole, where it was just covered with cheese. And while it looked good and kind of tasted You know, certain parts of it tasted good. Other parts tasted a little weird. Um, But as you ate this, it wasn't true reformation. True change had not happened to that meal. True change had not happened to really make it something different. And that's kind of the point I'm getting at, is the reformation that happened 500 years ago was something that completely 
changed the course of Christianity, that completely shifted the focus of what Christianity was all about. Because it went from being an institution-driven, a hierarchical, you-will-do-this-and-you-will-like-it system, or not like it, but you will do it, to a system based on, wait a minute, what it says in 1 Peter chapter 2 is, is, is correct. Let's go there and read that together. 1 Peter, it comes after Hebrews, so as we've been flipping around. Um, 1 Peter is a fairly small, small book, but it comes right before 2 Peter if you can't find 1 Peter. <clears throat> when you find it, ask your neighbor if you can help them find it. All right, First Peter, and let's just start. Um, check my notes right quick. All right, chapter two, verse looks like verse. Oh man, I took my thumb out. Chapter verse three, we will start at. Uh, chapter 1, or 2, that's why I'm having problems. Thank you. Chapter 2, I was in chapter 1. Now it all makes sense. <clears throat> all right, so we will start with verse 4. Coming to him, being Jesus, as to a living stone rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. So, just setting up, we have Jesus, and we've all heard Jesus referred to as, as like the living stone, the cornerstone that everything will be built on. Verse 5, you also, as what? As living stones. In this one sentence, I found it just very fascinating. What Jesus is compared to, a living stone is being compared to those who follow him that we can become living stones, that we can become witnesses to God. And so you see it here, but you also as living stones are being built up by built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect and precious. And he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, this is verse 7, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. But, verse 9, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but now, but are now the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. One of Luther's chief beliefs 
was this shift of power and shift of, of responsibility, if you will, shift of authority. Thank you. I almost was going to say it, but I just, I just wasn't sure I wanted to. The shift of authority is now moved over and the responsibility to that authority has moved to the individual, to the priesthood of all believers. And if you kind of follow history, this shift in thought comes a hundred years or so before the age of enlightenment, if you will, when this individualistic and humanistic things come in. But the idea of individualism was coming in to Christianity and into the social context around the time of Martin Luther. And he didn't want to necessarily go and say it's just individual because he noticed that it is a priesthood of all believers. I wrote something down that I wanted to say. I didn't do... Oh, here we go. No, that's not it either. Man, I need to work on making my notes more readable for myself. Anyway, there we go. The idea of this... So this individual thought that was coming, this idea that the priesthood was the one where the responsibility lay, that it was the, the believers who had the authority to interpret Scripture, that had the ability to, to be spoken to by God and to share with others. It wasn't, even though it was a shift towards the individual, it wasn't individualistic because the priesthood of all believers, there is the concept of community in this. And community, like I started out talking about, is so vital to the experience of Christianity. We are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses, community. We are a priesthood of all believers, community. When we are in the church, we are not necessarily in Christ. But when we are in Christ... We are in the church because we are a priesthood, a cloud, a people of witness that has the ability to go forward with the power, the dynamite power of the Holy Spirit and change the world like we could never imagine. Because we are in Christ and therefore we are the church and his witness, his group of people that he said, I'm leaving you to do the work. Point these people to me, to Jesus. This is what the Reformation was about. And the question becomes, what can we do to keep moving forward, to keep reforming people to Jesus? To, be, to, to share so that people become reformed in the image of Christ. Not through our power, but through our witness that points them to the power of Christ. This is what Luther did. And it's so important to understand because we have a part to play. I'll take my clicker now. 
we have a part to play because no one person, no one person alone gives a complete picture of Jesus. Together, as a cloud that surrounds, notice that, that surrounds, that encompasses, that protects, that encourages, that witnesses to Jesus. This cloud of witnesses. No one person can give a complete picture of Jesus. I just wanted to try and illustrate this in a little way. I'm going to give you a quick walk through my life. We've been talking about this fine fellow, Martin Luther. Um, I also mentioned Zwingli. Up there is a picture of Ellen White, a leader in the Adventist church. All of these people have been witnesses that have helped define and show and point to Jesus. But it goes beyond that. That's my mom and dad. They had played a significant role in my life spiritually. That's my baby cousin, Chelsea. Um, She worked at SAA for a couple years. Um, She's been an important part in my life and just kind of, again, having somebody to talk to and bounce things off of. Eddie and Tammy Heinrich, he's the youth director in this conference, a huge influence in my life. Those four good-looking people and then the one who's a little dicey-looking, that was a group I hung around with in college, and we did ministry together through music. And great experiences, and that helped shape my spiritual life, a cloud of witnesses surrounded. It is the cloud of witnesses of all of us when we are put together that begin to form something. When you begin to stick all of the pictures together of each of our witness, something begins to form in the church, and that is the picture of Jesus. It is the cloud of witnesses of all of us working together, of all of us ministering and witnessing for Jesus that allows the church to be a witness that points to Jesus. It is no one thing that we can look at, but it is all of us together. And that is my challenge for you today. Are you willing to be a witness filled with the power of the Spirit that will go places that you have no business being aside from the leading of the Spirit? That you have total fear of going forward in, but knowing that God is leading the way and coming behind and protecting you, surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. What does the Reformation 500 years ago play in our lives today? And it is just the power of witness. Knowing that we can share Jesus. Knowing that we have a part to play in the picture of Jesus. Will you accept that challenge today to be what God has called us to be? A great cloud of witnesses. Let's pray. Father, it is difficult sometimes to know 
what to say or what to do for you. It is difficult at times to feel worthy. It is difficult at times to have the courage. But Jesus, we believe that the power that you promised through the Holy Spirit that would encourage and motivate our witness is still available to us today. So Lord, may we be witnesses at all moments of our life. May we share your love with others around us. We ask these things in the saving name of Jesus. Amen.